Hello, I am coming live today to talk about something that I never ever thought I would talk about. Something that may not be generally accepted. Uh, I'm going to be talking about addiction and specifically marijuana addiction. So if you do not want to hear about this, please don't watch. Uh, it's definitely two words that I never thought could be put together and my intention is to fully talk about my experience and my journey and uncovering this for myself and what my past has taught me about the association of these words never mixing and yeah uncovering this for myself really recently and it was honestly last night and I've just been experiencing a lot of different mixed emotions when it comes to this idea that I have an addiction and there, you know, and this is also not to compare to other humans and other addictions also. I understand that there are different levels of severity when it comes to addictions and it comes to alcohol and drugs but I kind of wanted to share my thought process in case you're curious and maybe you're shocked that I've even smoked weed or uh, I don't know or haven't even heard about the idea that it can be an addictive drug and all of these things that I'm kind of uncovering for myself very recently so a recent thing has been me and Cameron have been going to these estate sales and I am someone who used to really dislike reading especially like summer reading which was when I read was only when it was required by school and I just didn't like being required to read things that I just didn't want to read but I really turned a leaf and I really freaking love reading so we've been going to these different estate sales and I found this book called Emotional Sobriety. And I'm like, you know what? I'm on my own sobriety journey. I'm gonna share more about sobriety and uh, it's been a very new and recent thing for me as well. So I'm gonna be talking about that as well. But I saw this book called Emotional Sobriety and it's an AA book, Alcohol Alcoholics Anonymous. And in my opinion, it's it's a series of these stories from people who have been a part of the fellowship called Alcoholics Anonymous. These people who have been sober and recovering from their addiction and how they have changed their mindset almost and how they're able to cope with life without the the alcohol basically so i got that book and then the next estate sale i got the book it's called the big book if you are familiar with alcoholics anonymous and it is just it's like the it's the big book it's the big book for the fellowship and i've been i was reading about it in the first book and i just started reading the big book last night yes sounds kind of weird why am i reading books about Alcoholics Anonymous when I am not an alcoholic. Absolutely zero shame. All of the love in the world. I'm starting to grow compassion and empathy by reading these books for those humans who may be afflicted with addiction to alcohol. And it's really helpful for me because there are a couple of members, a couple of people, uh, probably more than a couple in my life who are recovering or have yet to recover from alcohol. So it's important for me to understand and that's kind of why I thought initially I was gravitating towards those books. I was like, well, maybe it's so that I can have more empathy for those humans who may be afflicted, right? And then I started reading these books and I started, the vulnerability in the books are also something that I love and there's a lot of spirituality in the books and how important it is to connect to your higher power and do a moral inventory and uh, basically make amends to the people that you've hurt, which I have done. Uh, it's, it's, there's a lot of synchronicities. 
but the the one of the most recent synchronicities that I that I saw was that in fact I may have an addiction myself, which is something I never ever thought I would ever ever say. Ever. So that's kind of the preface to that. I'm gonna go further backwards. So from the ages of you know being a newborn baby to 21 around the age of 21 I was a complete square I did nothing I didn't touch alcohol I didn't touch any drugs because I knew my family and uh, it was just something that I was also grown up like dare you know uh, and resist drugs and drugs are bad and all these things so I have a lot of these programs that you know stay sober and be a square and I had a lot of square friends so it worked out for me and then around the age of 21 I'm 27 now my roommate smoked a lot of weed and I was like yeah I'm still gonna say stope stay sober and then his friend who ended up like we ended up being a thing he was like you know I've been a square my whole life I want to try this whole weed thing and I'm like well if you're gonna try it then I'm gonna try it and basically as soon as I picked up the joint or no actually it was technically a hookah we packed the hookah with shashish I believe it's called something you know what I'm saying as well as marijuana was mixed in and about 20 minutes after I tried the hookah I started feeling things and I was like oh wow it's really working and I felt this high that I honestly had been chasing ever ever since so basically that first time turned into six years of consistently smoking every single day every single day except for a week in which I was on vacation and you will you will hear me talk about this in, in some of my older stuff. I also have a, probably a couple podcasts about it. Link in my bio if you want to hear those, but even those stories have kind of altered because those that week, I call it hell like I call it vacation from hell. I went to Vegas and LA with my dad and my stepmom. And I had a completely miserable time. But for most of my understanding, I was completely unaware that I was going through withdrawal symptoms. Withdrawals from marijuana. And I was nauseous the entire time. I felt like I was on the urge of puking. I barely got any sleep. There were also a lot of external situations that allowed me to not get any sleep. The fact that, I mean, I couldn't fall asleep. Uh, until really late really early in the morning and then still early in the morning my sister who was a baby would wake up and she would run into the room and I was in the living room so there was a lot of there's a lot of things but something that I kind of neglect to mention in the other stories and the other versions of these stories was that I was actually going through withdrawal symptoms from marijuana I never I never knew that that existed it took me many years later, okay, so uh, smoking marijuana was very consistent for me for literally six years. And I did not understand that I actually had a problem with it. It wasn't until around January of this year, I decided to go on a 30-day challenge, a 30-day sobriety challenge to show and prove that I could do it. You know, I reckon humans, at least, I'm, I'm going to use me, as a human who has smoked marijuana so consistently, it's like, yes, I can quit whenever I want. So this was an opportunity for me to put my money where my mouth is and be like, okay, I can quit whenever I want. And I quit during those 30 days. And that's when those withdrawal symptoms were coming up again it, they weren't nearly as severe because my habits had changed but I could definitely feel it in my body I got these sweats uh, 
nausea was more so the previous time that I went through the withdrawals, but night sweats, having a really hard time going to bed, just feeling incredibly uncomfortable. Uh, I can feel it coming up right now. Just feeling anxious and feeling like I want to crawl out of my skin. And this is not to minimize any other person who is going through withdrawals of other drugs and alcohol because I know that marijuana is definitely less severe. So this is kind of, there have been a lot of conflicting ideas about this whole marijuana and addiction being in the same sentence. And I'll get to that in a little bit. But... Once I, reco- once I recovered, right, for about a week or two, I was not going through the with- withdrawals anymore and I was on that 30-day challenge. And I was feeling really good. Honestly, within that 30 days, I, Cameron and I manifested living in, or at least getting a lead to living in this house that we live in right now. We were living in a one-bedroom apartment where there was really not much room to do much at all. We had so much furniture and big furniture that it really took up a lot of our space. And I, I'm telling you, I really didn't leave my bed. I did not leave my bed. And a lot of days I would just wake up, give up on my day. I would just be like, I'm giving up today. And then I would start smoking and I'd watch TV and that would be my whole day for a lot of days Uh, and then I was like okay I really need to change these habits right so that's why I went on that 30-day challenge after the 30 days even though I felt amazing in those 30 days I felt more clear and more uh, more crystal clear in those 30 days than I had in so many years But after the 30 days, I was really like, hmm, well, the only reason, well, I I challenged myself to do it and I did it. So it was conflicting whether I go back or not to smoking. And I was like, well, I have these new practices. I'm not going to smoke every single day. I am going to smoke maybe every other day. And I'm only going to take two puffs every time that I do it. And I set different boundaries and my habits did change a little bit. So after the 30 days, I kind of went back and I was doing and experimenting with different ways that I could use this, uh, this medicine. It is a medicine. Like that's another, okay, we're going to get to that. So long story short, I went back from March around March to, or mid-February to to maybe around June, July. I am not gonna do the math right now. So about, about those kinds of, those months, those few months I went back and ultimately my, my habits didn't really change that much. They kind of kept going back to the everyday thing and I'm like okay something else needs to change my goal here my goal here is to live as crystal clear as I possibly can you know I want to be able to see my reality without this blanket of fog that I was experiencing a lot a lot uh, without even knowing that I was experiencing it I want to you know show up as the most clear, concise, clear-headed version of me that I possibly can for the whole entire world. And something else needed to change. So I not, I went on that 30-day challenge originally and then 60 days ago today, so it's September, August, July. So July 15th, I believe. I decided to, it was July, yeah, or July 16th, I think, one of those days, I decided to go on another sobriety journey, it was actually the day after I had a party, and 
We were having a really fun time. I was having a couple of drinks. Alcohol has not really been something that I've gravitated to anyway. So it's just mostly been marijuana. And I smoked that night and then I woke up feeling terrible and I was like, all right, I really need to make a change. And I would like to do it for the greater good of all of humanity. You know what I'm saying? Because, uh, you know, I want to be the change I wish to see. So I decided I was think I was teeter tottering between should I go on another 30 day sobriety journey or should I go on an, and increase it to 90 days? You know, it's like I want it to be possible for me and I want to be able to show up for myself and, uh, you know, really show myself that I can do it without giving myself such a huge thing you know I was even thinking like a year and it's like I don't want to set myself up for failure if I can't do a year I'm going to be really disappointed in myself so it's about for me it was about setting goals achievable goals uh, and having the opportunity to follow through with them so that I could show myself that I can do it and I can build that self-trust within myself and honestly, it took a lot of self-trust to be able to even think about getting to uh, a 30-day sobriety journey. Even one day. Even one day of not smoking. It was really a lot of work to be able to reach that goal and to be able to do that. Um, <clears throat> so I decided 90 days. And I have been, it's my 60th day now which I'm really, really proud of myself. Uh, and it's on the 60th day. One second, my cat's at the window. You coming? He can be dis indecisive, so I give him 10 seconds. I'm like, 10 seconds, and then I'm closing the door. Okay, so I decided to go for the 90 days. <clears throat> I'm on 60 days right now, so it's really, really amazing for me. It's really shocking for me. And then I started reading that Alcoholics Anonymous, the big book last night. And it was talking about uh, how one of the founders, Bill W., how his journey had come. And honestly, a lot of so all of these stories are incredibly inspiring because all of these people have hit their rock bottom and they came back so much stronger and are living such clear, uh, beautiful lives. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying that you can't live a beautiful life with, um, with those things, but I do believe that there are some humans who like once you start it can be really really challenging to stop and like I said I never thought I would be one I would be one of those people but I'm reading about Alcoholics Anonymous in the big book and how shame can be really one of those things that kind of perpetuates the the cycles and shame can be really harmful for humans who have addictions and it's definitely given me a lot of grace and a lot of compassion for humans in my life who have been struggling or who have struggled and also makes me look back on how often I myself had been shamed about what I was doing. I think a lot of people actually knew, a lot of people knew that I had mower if you can hear it, sorry. Not really, sorry, because there's not much I can do. Okay, now he wants to come back in. Come on. Come on, kitty kitty. than 10 seconds I would say um, okay so a lot of humans in my life had shamed me 
uh, and probably knew that I had an addiction and I had a problem before I even knew that I had a problem. They didn't say it to me, <clears throat> which I'm ultimately glad. I'd rather, I'm good, how are you? I'd rather, I'd rather figure out some things for myself because it can be really, it's really empowering to figure things out on my own. Uh, of course, I'm not, that's not to say that it can't be empowering when other people help you along your journey, right? But a lot of humans on my journey, especially people who were in like the spiritual space and <clears throat> who were doing amazing, beautiful things and people that I really admired and previously looked up to. I don't, I, I say previously because I don't really look up to anybody. I admire other people and I love other people, but we're all equal. So I don't look up and I don't look down at anybody else. We're just all equal. But there are a lot of people that I admired and a lot, like several people were like, why are you doing this? What are you doing? What's helpful about it? Why do you keep doing it? Maybe you should, you know, stop doing that. And other underlying shameful, you know, kind of like, what are you doing with your life kind of thing. And it really wasn't helpful. If anything, it really drew me further away from those people because it's like, you see a problem and I see there's no way out of it. And I don't want to, I don't want to quit. I don't want to stop doing what I'm doing. I'm not ready yet. And it felt very con conditional love based. <laughs> He's distracting me. Do you see him? He's chewing on this little piece of paper, piece of plastic. Keep that on you. Uh, yeah, it felt very like conditional love on on it like not being accepted for exactly who I was and it didn't feel good for me and also I was in no way shape or form ready to quit uh and I was just looking for other humans who could at least have empathy and sympathy for me without shaming me because that really really doesn't help and I hope that if anything that I say from this video you take away that those humans who have an addiction or have a problem they're already feeling shame I was already feeling shame within me and perpetuating that shame and putting more shame this is not to shame the shamers either you know uh, but to continue to shame those people who have a problem and sometimes it only takes one time doing it is not really helpful as pure and as beautiful as your intentions may be, uh, humans who have an addiction are only going to be ready to quit when they're ready to quit. You know, it's like, it's like that intervention show. Those things don't really work. At least I don't think that they work because it's a choice and people are only going to be ready until, and sometimes you got to hit rock bottom and sometimes you got to feel those low lows in order to choose something different. So uh, if anything that you take from this live is that shame just doesn't help. It actually almost makes, it does the opposite of helping. It doesn't, it doesn't help at all. Uh, because the people who are already experiencing the addiction already feel that internal shame. And I was feeling a lot of shame and I wasn't looking to feel any more of it. You know what I'm saying? I thought I heard, um, I thought I heard a knock. <laughs> I'm paranoid now. <laughs> okay, no I'm not. I'm feeling great. Crystal, let's do this. Yes, if you could take anything from this video, it's that shame doesn't help. And those humans are just looking to be accepted and loved for exactly who they are, just like everybody else. You know what I mean? Um, but for a long time, this idea of me having an addiction totally evaded me, 
totally until last night. There have been like hints of like me thinking that I did have one, but there's been a lot of cognitive dissonance and a lot of different programming that allowed, that made me kind of deny that part of myself and be like, no, this is not it. And I'll get more into that, but I want to share more about how I have seen addiction from the outside looking in. Um, yes, lots of family members. Uh, I No, I won't label everyone or anyone. I won't label everyone or anyone, but I do, I do have a family member who is a self-proclaimed alcoholic. Um, I have a lot of family members who, no, I don't want to say that. Doing my best to be very careful with my words. Okay, we'll just get to the chase. So my dad has rarely ever been single. And when I was between the ages of, I wanna say like eight and 11, he was dating this girl who was so amazing. She honestly does inspire me and uh, she had so much light within her. She was this beautiful like hippy dippy girl who very woo woo, very uh, into incense and like hippy skirts and she introduced me to like reggae and Bob Marley and also Black Eyed Peas. I fucking love the Black Eyed Peas and she introduced me to Monkey Business and she had a really uh, big effect on me and she was really unapologetic about the way that she lived her, lived her life but she also suffered with addiction and she I believe was an alcoholic. Uh, I don't know where she's at right now so uh, this is just like my perception of her when I was way, way, way younger, really young. Uh, and she also had a problem with heroin. So it was really confusing to see this beautiful, bright light to be afflicted with these addictions. <sighs> and she had a son who I, you know, he was my first ever brother, and I always wanted a wanted a brother and a sister. I have a, I have two half siblings now, but he was my first unofficial brother, and um, there are very little snippets of I remember her trying to drive me away, and she was not herself. I believe she was drunk. But I also didn't know, I don't know, you know, when you're so young and you have no idea what's going on, you don't really know, you don't know what's going on. So I remember kind of a snippet of her driving me away and my dad feeling really frantic about, he was playing in this baseball game and he was feeling very frantic about her having taken me away and I knew that something was up with her. I remember one night my dad is in the living room and I'm in my room and he's just crying and yelling and uh, he was the most hopeless I'd ever seen him and he was doing his best to try and help help her and I felt uh, hopeless and helpless myself. And I had, a, I had a lot of empathy and I had a lot of love for her and she was always so amazing and sweet and loving to me and it really broke my heart that she was battling so many demons you can say and these addictions because it's like fuck you're fucking incredible in it it was really sad so i kind of looked at that and that was one of those one of these core defining moments in my life was like okay i see you and i'm not gonna be doing that uh because especially i'm kind of understanding that it could be anything but once you try heroin once it is really, really, can be really challenging to quit. My cat's interested in this. It can be really, really challenging to quit. Um, and it always, it has irritated me. Of course, I don't know the science or the health or medical stuff behind it, but it was always so frustrating to me when my mom would say that 
quitting smoking cigarettes is just as hard as quitting heroin when it's like you can die from quitting heroin there are so many different um there are so many different things going on and heroin is such a hard drug and it's i've just had a lot of empathy for those humans who have been afflicted with uh addiction specifically heroin because it's it's a real problem it's a real epidemic and something that i would never ever try because i've seen how much it can hurt someone and how much it can hurt their family and that once you try it it's really hard to quit uh so if, if you take anything else from this it's really hard to quit so please do not try anything that you're afraid that you're not going to be like <sighs> um i don't want to say that i don't want to say don't because the subconscious mind who which controls 95 percent of our reality doesn't understand negative negatives so it's like be very conscious about what you're consuming and what you're putting into your body because once you start it may be really really hard to go back and also uh, I think another reason why people continue to keep doing it is because they're continuing to chase that first high kind of like I said about it could be really it's honestly impossible to get that first same high again so it's like it's honestly better than not better not uh, better being sober and seeing where that journey takes you there's not it's not better or worse it's all part of the journey it really is but that's kind of the beginning stages of that and also the fact that my dad my mom my aunts my uncles uh my grandparents everyone smoked weed everyone smoked weed and it was like i was so turned off for such a long time and i was sober for such a long time until that one time until that one time and then i was on this roller coaster for six years uh I don't want to compare it to other drugs or alcohol, right? Because it's on different levels of severity, but it was still not, it was still harmful for me. And it was not, it, it literally diminished every aspect of my life. Um, it affected my relationship with myself, my relationship with my partner, my relationship with my family, my work, like it, it, really did affect my work and I I got not the best performance reviews you know what I'm saying uh, it affected my health it affected my well-being and my quality of life and like I couldn't go for a you know I couldn't go for a walk without hawking up something or um, just feeling horrible I couldn't wake up without feeling horrible it it created this blanket of fog that I didn't even know was there. I didn't even know it was there until I decided that... My cat's just staring at me. Until I decided that I need to, like, okay, it's time for me to do something different. And then I started being sober and I started the sobriety journey and then I could really tell a difference. Uh, so it was this kind of blanket of fog that I didn't even know was there. And that affected every aspect of my life until it was removed, until I could see in a different way, if that makes sense. And this idea, and this, honestly, this topic has been, is a scary one for me to talk about because this idea of being addicted to marijuana is incredibly laughable with the programs that I have. You know, um, with my family, if I, if I spoke to this about that with them, it probably would be, I would, I feel like I would be laughed at. I'd be like, are you serious? No way. It's not addictive. Marijuana itself is not addictive. Uh, and you can't be addicted to it. And it can be a lot worse. Uh, I could be addicted to any other drug, you know, crack, cocaine, uh, 
I hope that this doesn't get flagged. Other, other harder drugs, right? But, uh, and then what are some other, it could be a lot worse, right? I don't have, I don't have a problem. Um, there could be other things that I could be doing. Those kinds of things are coming up in at least my, my subconscious mind and what has been hmm, evading me. This addiction and this idea of being addicted has evaded me for so long is because of these programs, because of these ideas that you cannot possibly be addicted to marijuana. No, marijuana is not inherently addictive. Uh, it doesn't have addictive, addictive properties. But that's not to say that anything could be an addiction. Absolutely anything and everything can be an addiction. You know, if you, if you watch my strange addictions, those humans have addictions that you wouldn't even think or dream about, you know. Uh, and when I am doing something every single day and I cannot stop and it's really hard to stop and it's harming me and it is no longer helping me, and it's just getting in the way of my quality of life, there is a problem. I, I have a problem. Uh, and that's not to shame myself or shame other people. I truth, truthfully believe that it's all part of the journey and I'm really grateful that this is an experience and an opportunity for me to grow and to learn because it's really allowing me to have a lot of empathy for my family who I'm not going to label them at all but they have been pot smokers my entire life and um, I used to resent that and I didn't I'm still learning about addiction I'm this is all so new to me I can't even explain how new to me it is and this whole idea that I myself have had a problem um, it's not really a problem, it's an opportunity for growth, right? But it's very new for me and I'm learning a lot and I'm still learning a lot. And it's been really important for me to learn, I think, and have this empathy and uh, compassion for other humans. Because it really does, it really does help. It's honestly making me rethink so many things and that, you know, every situation, every experience for the last six years can be rethought about. It can be reconsidered because it's like, I was amidst that addiction and I was amidst that blanket of fog that I didn't even know was there. I was thinking about even my partner, like, my partner and I have been together for six years, six, six and a half years, and the only time I've been sober is these two months right now, out of those whole six years, as well as the 30 days back in January, and that's it. So, it's like, it's really completely new for me. Yes, I've been sober for 60 days, and I've felt the best that I've ever felt, but it's still such a new journey for me. And now it's not just a 90 day challenge. Now it's a lifelong thing, which feels a lot more heavy. And it's like, whew, this is a lot, a lot more heavy than I originally thought. Than I originally, you know, it feels less fun. It feels not like a challenge anymore. It feels like uh, a lifelong thing a lifelong decision that I made uh, now that I'm coming to terms with that fact that yeah I don't know if I could ever go back and if ever be healthy for me because of the way that I was using it and because of my brain as well um, there's something that they were talking about in that AA book and honestly if you if you know someone who has uh, afflictions with addiction or alcohol, this big book and this other book called Emotional Sobriety, I'm sure all of the AA books, there's also a magazine called The Grapevine, and there are other resources if you 
really do want to help the people in your life who are afflicted with these things, reading this information is really helpful. Uh, And who knows, you may uncover an addiction within yourself that you didn't even know you had, which is exactly what happened to me last night. Um, What was I saying? But yeah, now I'm uncovering that it's a lifelong thing. And it's, uh, it's a lot to process, I won't lie. And I, 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 have, I have an awareness that people will either not watch this because they think it's a joke. They think that being addicted to marijuana is a joke. But when you're someone who can't be, you can't give up something and it's harming you. I looked up the definition of addiction because it's like, I really need to know this for myself. Like, am I, do I have a drug addiction? I never, seriously, never ever thought that I would have one. And then I look it up and it's like, um, has a problem with, what's it called? Relapsing and uh, it, it has negative effects on your life and it's hard to quit stuff like that you can look it up if you like uh and I was like yeah this is definitely me and it it doesn't have to just be drugs either or alcohol either you know it can be just about anything and it's like whether that habit or that addiction is helpful for me or not is something that is important for me to reevaluate and consider for myself And this is not to say that everybody who's ever smoked or everybody who smokes is addicted. I'm not here to, I'm not a doctor. I'm not here to uh, diagnose anybody. I'm just here to figure out my own journey and figure out what I'm here to learn. And that, yes, you can be addicted to anything. And that includes being addicted to marijuana. So, um... And I wanted to talk more about this idea of the subconscious mind and the conscious mind, which I have been recently learning in this program program that I'm taking. And, uh, hey friend, if you're, ta- if you're watching this, I'm talking about this. Uh, I've had an addiction to marijuana. Sounds like it could be laughable. It's not. You could be addicted to anything. Okay. So, this idea of the subconscious mind and the conscious mind, which we all have, The subconscious mind creates 95% of our reality, while the conscious mind creates 5%. So, one of the rules of the subconscious mind is to try and protect the conscious mind from feeling negative emotions, like shame. uh, Which is something that comes up with addiction, right? And... It's almost as if my mind, my subconscious mind, was protecting me from knowing that it was an addiction so that I could not feel these ideas and these feelings of shame, if that makes sense. It was doing everything and anything that it could, retrieving old programming, so that I wouldn't come to this conclusion for myself and I wouldn't feel the shame that I'm kind of, I'm feeling right now, but it's an opportunity for me to release it because it's not helping me anymore. And a lot of memories of when I was high that um, I was not so proud of are coming up. And a lot of things that I have stored in my body that I've had a a shameful association that I've completely forgot about are coming up for me. (sighs) And it's a lot of heavy, heavy stuff. I won't lie. Uh, And it also gives me a lot of empathy for humans who may be hurtful to other humans, i.e. my my dad uh, and my parents, and they may not even know that they're being hurtful. They're just doing their best their subconscious mind is doing their best to protect them and protect them from feeling these feelings of shame even though it's already underlying chances are and more shame just doesn't help really doesn't help 
And oftentimes people who are hurting other people are not aware that they're hurting other people. It's just because the subconscious mind tries to do everything that it can to protect it from the conscious mind, it hides things like, okay, so this is the subconscious conscious. Conscious is everything that you're aware of, everything you're not aware of. So there's this wall here. And these two don't know each other. They don't know each other. And this one is protecting and hiding things from this one because it's protecting it. So a lot of the things that we're subconscious and unaware of, we're not conscious and aware of. You know what I'm saying? So things kind of perpetuate themselves. My cat is at the door again. All right, good baby. He came in at work that time. <clears throat> so basically, things that were <laughs> my cat's rubbing because this things that we're unaware of are often hidden from our awareness. This idea that I had an addiction was hidden from my awareness for six plus years. Uh, And part of me was like, should I even talk about this? Because I feel more shame knowing that it's an addiction. But honestly, it's all about, it's all about rewiring and relearning and understanding these things in a different perspective and that it's really not a shameful thing. Sometimes it just takes one time. Sometimes it just takes one choice and then it affects your life for years and years and years, you know? And we don't know what that one choice is going to be and what the effects of that choice are going to be. And it can be really hard to quit something that even your brain is like, we need more of this. We need more of this. And it can be really hard to suppress that urge. It can be impossible to suppress that urge. And me being able to understand that yeah, like anybody can be addicted to anything does give me a lot more empathy and compassion for people around me and for those humans who may have an addiction. Uh, And then it's actually not a shameful thing at all. Uh, Because those words to me have been synonymous for such a long time, but a lot of these feelings are coming up because they're, they're coming because they're going. They're leaving my system, which I'm grateful for. A lot of it has been like re-looking at things. Looking at my past and being like, that was definitely covered by that blanket of fog that I was unaware of. You know, it's interesting. It's like, it definitely does make me think that thinking about the past is... Um. It is all distorted. It's all distorted based on so many factors. But especially for me, whenever I was high, it's distorted by that high. Hmm. And part of me is like, you know, I wish I could go back and I wish I could do all this. And I wasted six years of my life doing that and all of those things. But... Um, I can't go back and we're always, I was thinking about this last night, we're always only doing the best that we can with the, with the information, the resources that we have always. And that includes me and that includes laying in bed and not being able to get out of bed and smoking all day and watching TV all day because that's all, that's the best that I could do at that moment. And, uh, it is. And our best changes. It's like, would I ever expect the Lizzie now uh, to live up to the expectations that she has now for me from six months ago? No way. She she wasn't ready yet. And I think uh, that's kind of, kind of the common thing here is people will be ready when they're ready. If you're someone who knows someone... Uh, or even if yourself, you um, 
can't imagine doing or having or behaving a certain way. If you're not ready, that's okay. You're exactly where you're meant to be in every moment of every day. And whenever you're ready, you can be. And honestly, knowing that there is this there is this idea of being addicted to marijuana is empowering to me because it's like, okay, I know that I if I go back, chances are my my habits and my things are not gonna change. So I know it's a lifelong thing now. And I know that I can help other people and I'm able to empathize with other people who have addiction and I am able to validate other people who may be addicted to marijuana even if other people invalidate that idea because it's been invalidated in my life for such a long time that it's like okay it's a thing um and it's okay like we're gonna survive and we're gonna get through this and uh that's not to say But I hope this was helpful. Um, I'm going to end this now because I'm afraid that my mic stopped working. We'll see. I love you all so much. Thank you so much for listening. I hope this was helpful. And right, like I was saying, this is not to compare alcohol and drugs to one another. There are different levels of severity. And I am aware that weed is on the lesser area of that severity. You know, the scale, lesser on the scale. Um, but this is just what I'm learning and I hope it's helpful and thanks for listening and this helped me and I hope it helped someone else and I love you all so much and I'll talk to you later.